0: Ways. Today, I'm talking about... Um, it's Luke chapter 21 is what I'm supposed to speak about, so don't turn there. Luke 21, it's, and here's the thing. In Luke 21, Jesus begins to tell the future. Okay, He starts talking about end-time events. He talks about telling disciples what's going to happen in the near future. Then he tells us, you know, stuff that's going to happen in the distant future. Now, the thing is, is as I was studying it, I had some thoughts before we talk about prophecy, a lot of thoughts, so many thoughts that we won't get to chapter 21 today, but, but the thing is, is there are so many Christians, the reason why I'm bringing this up, there are a lot of Christians today who no longer believe that God knows the whole future. Hey, this, this is not just, oh, there's a few you know, wackos out there. No, no, this is this is growing. And, and there may even be a lot of you in this room who question whether or not God knows the whole future. And I, I need to talk about this, because this is not just a little simple theological issue that we could go either way on. This will affect every facet of your life. Honestly, every single thing that happens in your life, you have to decide, did God know that was going to happen? Or was it just a coincidence and he didn't know it was going to happen either? See, there are a lot of people who, who, who teach this openness theology, this theology that God doesn't really know the future. You know, He just responds to everything that happens. He knows everything except for the future. And, and so, and the reason why, the reason why this is being taught nowadays is because it, it's really a man-centered theology. The whole idea is if something happens to me that I don't like, You know, and something happens to your friend that they don't like. You know, say, "Hey, why did that guy hurt me? Or why did my friend die? Why would God do this to me?" Then you can respond and go, "God didn't want that to happen either. He didn't know what was going to happen. God didn't know those people were going to hurt you. See, He created this world and gave everyone free will and and these choices, and they make these choices, and that, you know, and God didn't want any of that to happen. It just kind of happened, and now that it's happened, He'll make the best of it." And it's this whole idea of God when he... See, because if, if God knew, if God knows everything, and he knows the future, then he knew when he created Satan that Satan was going to rebel. And that he was going to cause all sorts of pain and, and wreak havoc on this world. So then maybe God didn't know, and we kind of let leave him off the hook and let him off the hook and say, oh, well, you didn't know that was going to happen. You know, hey, you know, these, these things happen. That's not what Scripture teaches scripture teaches that everything that happens is under God's plan under the umbrella of his sovereignty every single thing the bible teaches god's omniscience meaning he knows everything and it teaches god's omnipotence meaning he has power over everything there's nothing that happens that's outside of his nose and outside of his predetermined plan and I'll tell you, some of this stuff is going to be hard to stomach. But this is, let me show you some scriptures that, that may be hard for you to read. Okay, uh, Exodus chapter 4. God speaking to Moses. And he's, the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? But wait, so, so who who makes a person blind? Who makes a person deaf? I mean, isn't that Satan? There, there's a huge theology out there, you know, and a growing number of people are saying, well, you know, God does all the good things, Satan does all the bad things, God can't be responsible for that, and yet this verse is saying, well, who makes him deaf? Who makes him mute? Who makes him blind? And God says, isn't it I? Don't I do that? God? Who, who makes a man born Without arms and legs. Wait, wait, so so Nick, who was up here, you know, without arms and legs, just a couple of weeks ago giving that message that, that God did that? God was behind that. That was in the sovereign plan of God that somehow God, the, the loving created God? He did that? Could it have been in His plan to create this man with no arms, no legs to be, to be here before you with whatever's left of his body worshiping God to, to minister to you, to tell you, look, even without my arms, without my legs, I know there's a God. I love this God. I have a joy because of this God. And I'm going to bring glory to this God with what's left of my body. Could that have been in God's plan? Scripture says yes. That God's the one. Who makes men blind, deaf, mute, without arms, without legs? Next verse. Deuteronomy thirty-two. See now that I myself am He. There is no God besides me. I put to death. I bring to life. I have wounded. I will heal. No one can deliver out of my hand. Who who puts people to death? I've heard people say, "Well, hey, death isn't a God. Doesn't put people to death. That Satan does that." Well, I put the death. I bring to life. I have wounded and I heal. Next verse. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and He exalts. Why are you poor? God made you poor. Why are you rich? God made you rich goes totally against that old theology that says, hey, you know what, it's God's will for us all to be rich, and if you're poor, Satan made you that way. He says, no, it's God that sends poverty and wealth. Next verse. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When things are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider, God has made the one as well as the other. Really? Next verse. I am the Lord, there's no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Are you getting the picture here? Next verse. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? It is not from the mouth of the Most High that both... Calamities and good things come. Next verse. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. He says He makes everything work out, everything in this world that happens. Whether you see it or as good or as bad, God makes it all work out for His purposes in conformity with His will. You can turn that off. Not according to my will. Okay, I, I've said this. I don't know how many times I've said this since the church started, but I'm going to say it again. The world does not revolve around you. Okay? Man, get it through your head. The world doesn't revolve around you. doesn't revolve around me. It revolves around His will. And this whole other theology, the, the very base of it, at the core of it, is this, is, is this assumption that God's agenda could not include my suffering. God's plan, God wouldn't plan for me to go through hard times. And so when I go through hard times, it must be something that's out of His control and outside of His plan. But that's not what Scripture teaches. That's not what Scripture teaches about even suffering. What are we supposed to consider when, when, when we encounter various trials, according to James 1? Pure joy. He didn't say consider it an accident. God didn't know it was going to happen either. He said, no, consider it joy because it's not pain, it's those hard times, it's actually building something in you. It's going to make you persevere, it's going to make you mature and complete so you're not lacking anything. This is how I've ordained it. And so you consider it joy when those things happen because something's going to happen to you internally that's going to change you. And, and I'm going to make everything, all things, work together for the good for those who love Him. It's all in my plan, though. It's all about my purposes. Do you understand that, that? That God's purposes and His plan, and when He created this world, He had things that are more important than my comfort. I, I think we all see it when we read the story of Job. That's a tough one, right? That's one of those passages that's difficult to stomach because you've got God in heaven, and and, and he's saying, man, there's this one guy, there's this one guy on the earth, this guy Job. And he says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. And and Satan goes, yeah, but you know what? The only reason why he loves you is because you give him everything. Start taking that stuff away, and you'll see. He's going to curse you to your face. And so God says, all right, go for it. And what happens? You know, Job, the righteous man, most righteous person on earth, what happens to him? A guy comes up and goes, oh, man, you know, some people came, they raided your place, you know, they killed all of your, your oxen, you know, all the, the the servants that were taking care of them, and I came back. Another guy comes, you know, Job's in there, oh, man, bummer. Another guy goes, hey, you know, fire came down from heaven, burned all your sheep, you know, and then they, and they killed all the servants, and I'm just here to tell you. Another guy goes, hey, your camels. Oh, not my camels. Someone took your camels. You know, all your camels are gone. Then another guy comes. He says, hey, uh, you know, all, all of your children, they were under this house having this party, and the wind blew, and the roof caved in and killed all of your kids. And at that, Job tears his robe, shaves his head, just mourning on the ground, and he says those words that we still sing today. In, in Job chapter 1 verse 21, he, he says, "Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I'll depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this God did not I mean Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. When all this happened, Job, he's mourning, he's weeping, he can't believe this, you know. and yet at the end of it, he just says, you know, the Lord gave that to me. I mean, I came into this world with nothing, and I'll leave the world with nothing. He gave me that, and now Satan has taken it away. Is that what he says? No, he says, the Lord gave, the Lord took away, blessed be the name of the Lord, and in that he didn't sin against God. He understood, no, God took this away from me. This is somehow in his plan. And yet later on you read, you know, as Job continues in his grieving, he starts to question. He goes, oh, wait a second, I'm righteous. I mean, when there's poor people and they come to my house, I feed them, I give them clothes, I take care of them. I don't hurt anyone. He even said, he goes, in Job thirty-one-one. he goes, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a woman. He goes, I'm living a pure life. So why would this happen? And he begins to question, and do you remember God's response for four chapters straight? What does God say? Does God go, I didn't know it was going to happen either. you think I had any control? you think I wanted that to happen? I didn't know it was going to happen. No, that wasn't God's response. What was God's response for four chapters straight? He says, shut up. He just says, shut up. He says, you don't question me. He goes, I'll ask the questions, and you give me the answers. And he says, where were you? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Come on. He goes, don't you understand? When I made this world, I had a plan for it. You weren't even around. And now you're questioning my purposes? You're going to question me? And he goes, you brace yourself like a man. He says, God answered him on the storm. and says, you brace yourself like a man. I got questions for you. I'm the judge, remember? I'm the one that asks questions. You answer to me. And after he says all of this, man, Job says something so profound in chapter 42. At the very end of it all, Job says this in verse 2 of, of Job 42. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. And you ask, you asked, hey, who is that? Who, who is this who ob- obscures my counsel without knowledge? And this is what Job says. Job says, Surely I spoke of things I didn't understand things too wonderful for me to know. And then you said, hey, listen now, and I'll speak, I'll question you, and, and you answer what, and You answer me. And he goes, my, hear, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job goes, okay, you know what? Yeah, I said some things, but I was talking about things that were too wonderful for me. Okay, I understand now that was over my head. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. And so I spoke. And, and, and now you're questioning me, and, and all I have to say is, you know what, I, I always had heard of you, but now that I see you, I, I'll repent. Let's just, let's just pretend I didn't say anything. You know, let me just go back, because I was just talking out of turn. I understand now. Everything's in your hands. Everything's about your control. You know, I got a little arrogant there, started speaking about things that were too wonderful for me. It was just out of my league. To try to figure it out you're God let me back off and that, that's that's an intense passage because we just go god it, it almost seems like it's all about you yeah it is I, you know different passages I, I, I do it's weird I can deal with job I have a harder time with Ezekiel I don't know why you know how some certain passages you read and you go and, and you'll say in your mind oh god I, I know you're free to do anything you want but then sometimes you go Wait, but that? Are you allowed to do that? I think Ezekiel was one of those passages that I was reading, and I just, every time I read I go, oh, that's hard for me to stomach. Because absolutely, yes, God, you're sovereign. You're in control. You can do anything you want. This is your creation. Jesus says, look, aren't I free to do with, with what's my own? And I made this place. Can't I do whatever I want? But sometimes you go, wow, you, you really mean that. See, it's kind of funny why I'm reading Ezekiel lately, um, the reason why it's kind of funny why I'm in this book right now is because uh, because we were thinking, okay, if we have a boy, not saying we will, not saying I want one, you know I think it'd be great to have five girls in my house but uh, <laughs> if if this is a, if this is a boy, you know we, we were thinking about the name Ezekiel you know and I thought, you know let me read up on Ezekiel, let me see you gotta make sure he was okay and you know in reading through Ezekiel again, you know, Ezekiel was a man who understood that God's purposes were more important than his. I mean, you, you see in the first couple chapters, God's telling Ezekiel, what I want you to do is I want you to lay on your side for me. Okay. For 390 days as an illustration. Okay. <laughs> you talk about getting dead arm. I mean, you, 390 days. Why? Because I have this illustration I want to give to the people of Israel. Okay, all right. And then go to the other side and, and lay for 40 days after that. All right. He just kind of did these things. But but what kills me is chapter 24. Chapter 24, God says to him, Hey, Ezekiel, I'm going to have your wife die. As an illustration. So she's going to die, and then you're not going to mourn for her. Don't mourn for her. And because... uh, it's going to be an illustration, and then people say, "Well, why are you doing that?" And 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 you can say to them, because in the same way, the delight of your eyes, the sanctuary, you know, in Jerusalem here, it's going to be taken from you, and you're not going to have time to mourn. And and I read that, I go, oh, you know, because you can read through it just quickly. Okay, then his wife died, da, da, da. and then I, I back up. I go, wait a second. You had this guy's wife die as an illustration. A, can't you make your point some other way? And you know what? Maybe this is why it hits me, is the, the verbiage. You, you know, what God says to Ezekiel is not just, I'm going to have your wife die. He says, Ezekiel, in one blow, I am about to take away the delight of your eyes. The delight of your eyes. And I, I don't know, it's just something about those words that grip me because it shows that, man, that, isn't that just a beautiful phrase? to call your wife the delight of your eyes. I mean, shows me that Ezekiel didn't just go, okay, it's just a wife, you know, just this or that. No, this was, this was the pleasure of his eyes. It's like he woke up in the morning, his wife, man, that's, that just brought delight to him. That was the one, you know, vision he could see that brought delight to his eyes. And God says, with one blow, I'm going to take that away from you. He didn't say, I'm going to take your wife away, but you didn't really like her anyways. You had your eye on her. You know, it's, it's not about that. He goes, no, 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 it's the light of your eyes. And maybe it just strikes a chord. I've shared this before, that, you know, I don't... Just about everything I pray for has some sort of spiritual point to it. And probably the only selfish prayer I can think of that I ever pray is, is God, if I could have one thing that has nothing to do with anything spiritual, it's, could you keep my wife alive as long as I'm alive? That's just all I ask for, okay? I know there's nothing spiritual in that. It's just, I just can't imagine life without her. And so then I read a passage like this, and God says... Ezekiel, I'm about to take away the delight of your eyes because I have a purpose in it. And I read it and I go, man, God, this really is about you, huh? And Ezekiel just kind of goes along and he does it. And it's this will of God. It's this purpose of God, even this painful thing. That God says, this, this is my purpose. People need to know. I, I think we see it. You guys know the story of Joseph. That's, to me, that's probably the best illustration of the sovereignty of God is, is when you read the story of Joseph about God's plan and how it works with decisions that people make. You remember the story of Joseph in, in, X, in uh, Genesis chapter 37 where, where Joseph gets these visions from God. Joseph is one of 12 children, one of the, the children of Israel, one of the children of Jacob. And, and Joseph gets these visions from God. God gave him these visions, these dreams about how one day he was going to rule and his older brothers are bowing down to him. Well, Joseph tells his brothers, hey, I had this dream. You're going to bow down to me. You know, and you know, pretty soon there's this jealousy and then Dad gives them this you know, pretty little robe and they go, oh, you know, Daddy's boy got the robe and they all start hating him and then they want to kill him. They thought, let's kill him. His brothers. What did he do to deserve that? God gave him the vision. God had his dad get, have favor on him, and yet his brothers go, let's kill him. And they said, "Oh, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in this pit. Okay, and let's sell him as a slave, and we get some money for him. So then Joseph ends up being a slave in Egypt. Where is God in that? But then, Joseph, okay, maybe there's a little you know redeeming grace here because then he starts working for this guy Potiphar. And Joseph does a good job as his slave. So Potiphar says, you know what? You're in charge of my whole household. Good, you know some good things happening because Joseph's a good guy. But then what happens? One day the master's gone, and Potiphar's wife starts coming on to Joseph, saying, "Hey, nice robe, you know," and and starts coming on. And what does Joseph do? Joseph, man of God, says, "You know what? I'm not touching you. I'm not even touching you." I'm not giving you the time of day because you know why. My master, he, he, he gave me this and he put me in charge and there's no way I'm sinning against him, against you, and he bolts for the door. Meanwhile, she grabs his robe tears it off him. He runs out in his boxers and she's holding the robe and what does she do? What does she do? She runs out the door and starts saying to everyone, hey, this guy tried to rape me. Look, he threw his clothes out at me, you know, and and then he's trying to take advantage of me. The master hears and says, what? You tried to rape my wife? You know, and he throws Joseph in a dungeon. Imagine. Okay, if you're sitting in this dungeon going... What else can I do? I did everything right. And now I'm in this dungeon. Not just for a few days, for a few years. And while he's in that dungeon, you remember the story how uh, you know, there were a couple guys down there with him. One was, used to be Pharaoh's cupbearer. Another one was Pharaoh's baker. And, and they start having visions from God. And and so the cupbearer say, hey, 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 Joseph, man, can you help me with this vision I had? And, and, and Joseph interprets it. He goes, this is what it means. You're going to be released. You're going to be free. And the baker goes, oh, that's cool. So the baker goes, hey, I had a vision too. What does mine mean? And Joseph goes, your head's going to get chopped off. And birds are going to start eating off of your neck. <laughs> Great. You know, so he goes off and, 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 and the cupbearer goes, hey, if this comes true, I'm going to remember you. I'll tell Pharaoh about you. We'll we'll get you out of here, and sure enough, those things happen. This cupbearer is free, but the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. He never tells Pharaoh about him. For you know, a couple of years pass, and then there's this. You know, then Pharaoh starts having dreams and starts having these visions, that no one can interpret. And the cupbearer goes, "Ooh, I forgot something." <laughs> hey, there was this guy that I promised him I'd tell you about. Yeah, a couple of years ago. But, anyways, he interpreted all my dreams. He's probably still down there. Um, let's get him out. And he comes out and he starts interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh raises him to power. Suddenly, Joseph is second in command of all of Egypt and explains this famine's going to come to the land and they better start saving and storing. And sure enough, all of this happens. And Joseph's in charge. Then, finally, the end of the story, you've got Genesis 45. Joseph's brothers show up to get grain. But Joseph's brothers don't know that Joseph's even alive. They show up and they see Joseph, but they don't even recognize him because they're thinking, he's dead, he's a slave. They'd have no clue that he'd be in charge of all of Egypt. And you have that story where Joseph recognizes his brothers. And what he says, I think, is so important for our theology, for our lives, for the way we live everything out. He makes this speech to his brothers in uh, in Genesis 45, starting in verse 4. He says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said to them, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Verse 5, Now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. For the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on this earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse 8, So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph so understood God's plan and his predetermination of this That he would say to his brothers, hey, don't get mad at yourselves. Hey, don't feel bad for what you did. Because this was all in the plan of God. God's the one that did this. God brought me here. You see, if we really believe in the sovereignty of God, if we really believe that everything is ordained by his hand and his predetermination, then we wouldn't get mad at people. We go, you know what? Yeah, you did that to me, but somehow it's all in God's plan. And it's going to work together for the good. See, that's tough. That's tough, isn't it? Because, okay, did the thing is, is, is do you think when Joseph was in the dungeon, let's say day five of year two, and he's in the dungeon, and think about everything that's been happening. He's doing it right, and he's sold into slavery, accused of rape, thrown in a dungeon, prophesies, and still he's stuck here. Do you think at that time everything made sense to him? I, see, I don't think so. I don't think he did. I don't think he knew. It wasn't until the very end. I, I think when he, when everything came together, because, oh, this was all God's doing. So then, the million-dollar question this morning is: Okay, okay, who who's responsible? Was it the wicked choices of the brothers and Potiphar's wife that got him in that dungeon, or was it God? The answer is yes. It, it, and, and I know you don't like that answer. You know, you're like, oh, I mean, yes. Who was it? Was it him? Was it? Scripture teaches both. Scripture explains man, God had this plan. This wasn't just a random accident. He just kept responding, oh, uh, now I know what I'll do. No. God says, look, Joseph says, God, God did this. God's the one that brought me here. It wasn't you. It wasn't an accident, it was his plan. And yet, did they make those wicked choices? Absolutely. See, this this really impacts our lives because then we can't go throwing blame at other things because we have to understand God knew that was going to happen. See, we like to blame. We like to walk out of here and go, well, you know, my life would be together if it wasn't for my wife, if it wasn't for my husband, if it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for that. And I'm saying, you know what? Nothing that's happened to you was outside of God's plan, predetermined, sovereign plan. He knew that was going to happen. And so you can't blame it on these things. You can't come to the end of your life and say, well, what about this? We, we've been willing to do this ever since, ever since the creation of man. Ever since Adam and Eve. Ever since their sin. You know, and God says, hey, Adam, why'd you sin? Why'd you eat the fruit? And He goes, well, because of that woman you gave me. Those were his words. You know, if you didn't give her, I was fine with the cows, the dogs. Yeah, you didn't bring her. And then she says, hey, eat the fruit. You know? And blames her. And then what does she do? You know, and God says, hey, well, what about you, Eve? What do you have to say? No, that serpent, why'd you, if you knew that serpent was going to choose evil and lure me, why did you make it in the first place? And God doesn't listen to any of that. He just says, you're guilty. You're guilty. You're going to be punished. You're going to be punished. What, do you think all this was outside of my plan? you think I didn't know that you could somehow blame these other things? I know this is hard for some because you guys are looking at things in your past and you're going, so God knew that was going to happen. Let me tell you something. When you get this, it actually will bring a sense of security to you. I was talking to my friend Kevin yesterday. Kevin, we just had the greatest time in college together. Um, he he's heading out in couple, next couple of weeks, going north, planning a church. We were in ministry together, serving youth ministry together. Just had a great time. Kevin gets married. They have a little boy. The boy is born with some heart problems, but it's he's okay. And then when the boy turns four months old, he gets pneumonia, and then the baby dies. And I'll never forget what Kevin said to me after the death of his baby. Because that's when you think, man, God, how could you have had a plan this or that? He says to me, he goes, Francis, if it weren't, if I didn't believe in the sovereignty of God, I would have gone crazy by now. You see, because I can think of a hundred things I could have done differently... Because, for instance, I think to myself, man, but I, I knew that kid had pneumonia. Yeah, I knew he had a heart problem. Why did I take him to camp? He goes, I took my kid to camp with me. That's where he got sick. That's where he got pneumonia. He goes, then I think I took him to the hospital in Bakersfield. And people we are saying, why did you take him to that hospital? You should have taken this other one where there's more specialists. He goes, man, I started thinking about all these things about, man, why did I do this? Why did I do that? He goes, in fact, he goes... I had an appointment. My son died on Sunday. I had an appointment on Monday with a specialist at UCLA. She had been working with my child already. And and he goes, after my son died, the specialist at UCLA calls me up and says, 'Ah, I didn't know it was that serious. I could have done something. And and I feel so horrible because, man, I knew how bad it was. and, And maybe if I had done this, maybe if I had done that. And he says, hold it. I appreciate your call, but this is not about you. Psalm 139 tells me that before God even made me in my mother's womb, He already ordained how many days I would live on this life. It says that all the days ordained for me were written in His book before even one of them came to be. God knew how long my son was going to live for. And I couldn't change that. You couldn't change that. This was all in the sovereign hand of God. God even knows every word before I speak it from that same psalm, and he says, listen, i go crazy looking at my past, thinking about what I could have done here, there, whatever, if I did not believe that there's a sovereign plan, a sovereign God. And we just struggle because we go, God, how could you ordain pain then and suffering? And I, the best illustration I can give is uh, is my daughter Rachel? You know, when she was um, just getting ready to go into kindergarten, you know, a little four-year-old, and and just crazy about her as my little baby, and and uh, and she had to get shots. You know, how they get shots before they start school, and I'm going, oh, this is going to be bad. And but I take her to the hospital. You know, I take her to the doctor, and you know, we're in the room waiting, and the, the nurse comes in and says. Hi, Rachel. You know, I'm the one that's going to be giving your shots. And Rachel looks at the, at the nurse and at the top of her lungs goes, Never! <laughs> and she she points, I mean, her eyes, her face is turning red just with everything in her. She goes, You're never giving me shots! <laughs> and, uh, and the nurse is looking at me and I'm going, I think it's a demon, you know, it's, it's, it, I don't know, you know, it was just, it was wild, you know, and and so as a parent, I'm going, no way, you know, what do we do, what do we do, and I try to go, baby, you have to, you have to, and she's, she's just beside herself screaming, and, and so what do you do as a dad, what did I do as a loving dad, that I go, yeah, get out of here, nurse, touch my girl, no, that's not what I did, what I do, I held my daughter. Man, as tight as I could. And she's struggling to break free. She's telling me before, her. she goes, yeah, I remember that, because I, I wanted to just kick her and run, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I grabbed her, and I pinned her to the table. I did. That's just what you have to do. You've got to hold her still. And now she's looking at me, going, Daddy. No, I want Mommy. No, I want Daddy. And just, you know, and I'm just going, no, oh, baby, love you. You have to do this. You have to do this. And as she's struggling, I'm just manhandling her, holding her to the table while, while some woman sticks a needle in her arm. Man, that just drove me crazy. But I had to do it. And it was for something internal that was going to happen in her that she didn't understand. But yeah, a loving father can ordain pain for a greater cause that the child doesn't understand. Guys, think about the death of Christ. You think that was an accident? You think God looked at the world and said, Oh no, everyone's sinning. What do I do? Oh uh, God, okay, my son died. Not what Scripture teaches. Scripture says in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it says, listen to this. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. God says, I planned this. And yet, you're guilty of it. It was my predetermined plan. See, we're about to take of communion. And as you take of this bread, you take of this cup, man, understand, this wasn't just something that happened. It wasn't just God's response. It was his predetermined plan. That he had his own son suffer and, and held to that cross for a greater purpose just so that he could have a relationship with you. That's amazing. God the Father planned on ha- taking his son through that process so that you could be sitting here today enjoying communion. Taking of the bread, taking of the cup, remembering his body that was broken for you, drinking of the cup that reminds you of his blood. So only take of this if you really really believe this. And we have communion up here for you, this is only if you really get this and understand, man, God went through this for you. He understands pain. He understands suffering. He predetermined all for a greater good. And I, I just got to say this before uh, we take a communion. I, I think that everyone here in this room, in the NPR and satellite, whatever, this is not a coincidence that you're here. You're here today by the predetermined plan of God. There's a reason why I'm speaking about this today. For some of you, maybe because you're holding on to things in the past, you're still blaming yourself and you're going, oh man, I could have changed it, it could have been, you know what, it's done. And you need to hear the words of Joseph that says, don't, don't keep harboring it yourself, don't keep getting mad at yourself. You know what? You meant it for evil, but you know what? God's going to use that. That even in the times when I have hurt other people, and I regret that deeply, I have to trust the sovereign hand of God to be strong enough to overcome those things and actually use those things in those people's lives. And you got to let go. Others of you, maybe that's what's kept you from God, is these difficult things in your life. You're saying, how could there be a God? And I'm saying, you know what? You may not get it right now. Maybe you are in the dungeon and it doesn't make sense. But I'm saying that's where the faith comes in. God loves you. He knows what pain's about. He watched his son suffer that for you. And maybe today is the first time you understood some things that happened in your life and you no longer get mad at people or anything else. You just go, you know what? Something's going to happen to me internally through all of this. And I'll get the picture one day.